Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Wright, says thank you for listening. We've got teenage themes on today's show. As a teenager, I fell in love with music from Motown, and that love endures. The founder of Motown Records, the legendary Barry Gordy, will be honored tomorrow by the Atlanta-based Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame. Gordy's daughter, singer-songwriter Rhonda Ross, will be in town for the event as well. Later this hour, we'll listen back to our conversation. Before her performance at the 2019 Atlanta Jazz Festival, the popular young adult author Laura Silverman will tell us about a recent project. She edited a collection of short stories centering on teenage protagonists called Up All Night. First, a play about a troubled teenager who turns to the actor Natalie Portman for guidance. Watching romantic comedies can be an easy way to escape reality. For 16-year-old Kiana, Natalie Portman's movies are the ideal escape. But what if Natalie decided to talk back to Kiana? All the Natalie Portmans is the production on stage at Outfront Theater now through February 19th. Nikki Toombs is the director. She joins me now with the actor Kayla Parker, who plays the role of Kiana. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much for having me. Nikki, why does Kiana need to watch romantic comedies to escape from reality? I assert that Kiana needs to have this escape because I think when you're having to balance rejection, lack of love, the desire to be respected, regarded, just feel a sense of community. It's something about immersing yourself in that world where there is no judgment, where it feels as if there's no pain. And in a a moment when that pain presents itself, a simple click will just change that dynamic. And I think that Kiana so desperately wants to be in control as well as much as having a remote control to be able to control those aspects of her life. It allows her to escape from the woes and the pains of her day-to-day life. Parker, would you talk about some of those painful situations that Kiana faces in her daily life? Well, I think the thing that is probably the most painful for Kiana is that less than a year ago, her father has passed. And she talks a lot about her father being kind of the glue that held the family together. Her and her older brother really were able to enjoy just being you know, teenagers when uh, their father was alive. But his passing, they both kind of had to take on um, a more active role in their own upbringing. Their mother is kind of struggling with alcoholism. And so, you know, a lot of times I think Kiana feels like she has to kind of step into that role of being the glue for her family. So I think that that the passing of her father, um, her mother struggling with alcoholism, and then just watching her brother 
again, like I said, trying to step into that father role are kind of some of the things that she's dealing with. I'm sure it's not easy for her seeing her brother work so hard to try to do the things that their father did and a lot of times unsuccessfully because he's also just a teenager. And she also, you know, of course, is is battling uh, her sexuality, or I won't say battling her sexuality, I should say um, trying to figure out the best way to uh, get acceptance from her family and to get acceptance from the girl that she's in love with. Hmm. Clearly, the situation of uh, an actor stepping outside of a movie to speak to a person must elicit some laughter from the audience. There are funny moments in the play. But her daily life is so sad, as you explained. Parker, what demands does the range of Kiana's emotions place on you as an actor? Kiana is a character that demands to be heard, demands that her feelings are acknowledged. She you know, it's only 16, right? So she's still trying to figure out how the world is supposed to work. So I think for me, it's just kind of tapping back into that kind of teenage ideology, knowing that there are things out of your control, uh, knowing that there are things that, uh, you know, you want out of life that you aren't able to have. I think I can resonate with that uh, being, you know, a 16-year-old girl who had dreams as big as Kiana's. So I think it really just requires that I, one, just listen to her because C.A. Johnson does a wonderful job with the script. Kiana's very vocal about the things that she wants. Uh, She's very vocal about the things that frustrate her, the things that she wants to change in her home life. So I think really the demands as the actor is really just to listen, just to listen to exactly what it is that Kiana's saying that she wants. Um, Because I think she's very, very vocal and outspoken about uh, the things that she wants in the way that she thinks her life should be. You mentioned the playwright C.A. Johnson. I'm curious about why C.A. Johnson chose Natalie Portman. This is for both of you. What are your thoughts? For me, um, in reading and doing some of the research, some of the things that we discovered is that at one point, Natalie Portman was the it girl. She was all things beauty. She was all things talent. She was all things great. And I think that desperately Kiana seeks to be all things great in whatever world that is, in her real world, in her creative world. And I think that is one of the reasons that C.A. Johnson decided to choose Natalie Portman. Kiana is a Black character, but her obsession is mainly with white celebrities, obviously, including Natalie Portman. What do you think is the significance? Yeah, for me, I think that, um, you know, Kiana has kind of gotten wrapped up in this fairy tale type of stories. And I think that because of her home life, she can't see herself in that fairy tale. She doesn't write. She even says that she doesn't really write about black characters because I think she thinks that she kind of associates that blackness with pain and uh, with some of the traumas that she experiences herself. So I think for her, when she's kind of looking at reaching for the stars and, you know, she's looking to these movies, she looks at these white actresses as kind of the epitome of beauty, of success. Um, And a lot of times these white actresses were able to be vulnerable and fragile in ways that, you know, she in her personal life was not able to be. Uh, And they're, you know, praised for it. They're praised for their drivenness. They're praised for, you know, their passion. And I think that she kind of aspires to that. Um, But also, you know, I think she also understands the system, right? Um, She talks a lot about, you know, just wanting to exploit the system, kind of feeling like there's this formula to to success and feeling like once she understands that formula, um, that she can make a lot of money off of it. So I think, you know, for Kiana, uh, whiteness and success are kind of synonymous. And she thinks that, you know, she has to tap into that world in order for her to, you know, get where she wants to be. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with director Nikki Toombs and actor Keila Parker, who portrays Kiana in all the Natalie Portmans on stage now at Outfront Theater. Listening to you um, explain this and 
Nikki, I think you mentioned the the fact that Natalie Portman was the it girl. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded the play is set in 2009, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are either of you Natalie Portman fans? I won't say that I was not a fan of Natalie Portman's. I will definitely say that through doing my research and watching all of the movies to get the, to understand the script references, I feel like I became more of a fan of Natalie Portman, but she wasn't, you know, um, I had only really seen a couple of her movies prior to this project. Wow, you did a lot of viewing as research, yeah, Parker. Absolutely. A lot Natalie, of yes. Yeah, <laughs> Natalie Portman has starred in some iconic roles absolutely. in her career. Jackie Kennedy, Black Swan, yeah. Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Um, my husband and I love a role she played when she was 12 mm. in a movie called Assassin. Mm-hmm. The profession was it the professional? The professional. Yeah. Yeah. With the French actor Jean Renault. And she was such an endearing little girl. But I don't suppose that movie appears in the play, does it? You don't have a twelve year old Natalie in the play. <laughs> well actually no, Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's too spoilerific or not, but we do we do get to see uh, Natalie. Since that was kind of Natalie's breakout kind of premiere role, we actually do get to see her as Matilda from The Professional. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. This is only the second production of all the Natalie Portmans. It premiered off-Broadway right before the pandemic hit. This is the first time it's back on stage. It It's quite a feather in the cap for Out Front, isn't it? Absolutely, abso- absolutely. And, and it's a beautiful story to tell. So, so excited to be able to be a part of this process of letting the world get to see this wonderful work that this playwright has created. Nikki, why was it important to have a predominantly people of color cast? As a creative, a lot of times on our American stages, there's not a lot of representation that mirrors the world that we live in. Sometimes I've found in my experiences that there's an insert black play here, insert LGBTQ plus play here, and then we have done our job when it comes to inclusion, but that's not true. And I think it's a beautiful thing when institutions, both in words and in action, demonstrate that they are ready to tell American stories, not from a limited limited perspective, because there's danger in having a single narrative. And I am just excited that Outfront has decided to put in action the words that we are telling all of these stories that often intersect. There are multiple things of love and acceptance and judgment. And, and, and one of the things that the playwright always mentions is talking about having love without abandonment. And so, I feel that most can be able to relate to these things. So it was very important to be able to get a diverse cast to be able to tell these words. And also, you know, as an audience member, there's nothing more beautiful than being able to see yourself on the stage and seeing, you know, and, and there's power in mirrors and windows. And, and when we have these mirrors, you can be able to see yourself. And then when we have these windows, you're able to see inside someone else's world. And that is what promotes empathy and community. So it was very important, and I'm so excited that Outfront decided to to produce this work. Yes, and, and all of what you're saying relates back to why this young girl, Kiana, looks at a white actress as her ideal. There were not as many leading roles with black actresses, even just... 12, 13 years ago. So representation certainly matters. Definitely does. The actor Anna Holland plays Natalie Portman. Can you tell us how many of Natalie's characters she portrays? Let's see. Was I at six? (laughs) Yeah, I want to say six. That's not right. 
and this must involve a lot of costume changes. It does. It does. <laughs> but can, can I just add that when Anna comes to the stage, she's such a light, such a joy. The, this, the, the scenes between both Kiana and Natalie are just, they, they, they almost become cathartic. They're this, it's this beautiful release of humor. And, and also, it's a connection to what is happening in real life to Kiana. Um, it's, it's a beautiful moment when we see Anna. Every time she comes on, it's just like, ah, breath of fresh air. Mm. So what sort of hope or encouragement do Natalie Portman's characters instill in Kiana? I think, you know, depending on the moment that Natalie comes, she really gives Kiana different things. Um, you know, Kiana is kind of described as kind of a loner. She doesn't have many friends. Um, you know, Natalie probably would be her best friend in this world. And each time she comes, she is kind of arming Kiana with what she needs to, to get through uh, whatever's happening in her personal life. So it's either her arming her with something, giving her some type of encouragement, uh, or in other in other cases, it's kind of to give her an escape. They often talk about their what they do, the time that they spend together as a game, as, as fun, as light. So, you know, it's either arming her or um, kind of giving her an escape, giving her something fun um, to do to kind of distract her from the things that are going on in her world. And to add to that, I feel that she reminds her that everything that she needs is within herself. You know, what you need is in you. Search you. And there's a line particularly in the play where Natalie asks Kiana, do you ever just take the time to look at the stars? And I believe that Kiana's character is so immersed in this adult world of struggle and pain and hurt and acceptance that she cannot even stop to just look at the lights and just to see the world for the beauty that it is. And I think that that's what she often reminds Kiana most, just take the time to stop and look at the stars and understand that the answers and the love and the acceptance that you're seeking is all within you. Director Nikki Toombs and actor Kayla Parker, who portrays Kiana in all the Natalie Portmans. The show runs through February 19th at Outfront Theater. You can find more information on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll continue our exploration of the teenage mind and listen back to a conversation with the editor and author Laura Silverman. Her recent collection of short stories, Up All Night, features teenage protagonists and the amazing range of emotions that color the teen experience. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzis. It's great to have you along. Up All Night is a collection of 13 short stories centering on teenage protagonists. The characters navigate a range of situations and emotions, many of which come up in the wee hours when most people are asleep. When the collection's editor, Laura Silverman, herself a young adult fiction writer, joined me via Zoom last summer, 
She explained how she decided which stories to include in the collection. When I had this idea for the anthology, I knew that there was so much potential with it. And I really wanted to incorporate enough authors that we could tackle all sorts of subjects because the middle of the night can offer anything from romances to ghost stories. So I wanted to be sure we had enough stories to really run the gamut. Did you ask for submissions? I'm curious about how you arrived at the 12 authors whose stories you include. Absolutely. So I really wanted to make sure that the collection was diverse. So I wanted a range of not only genres, so not only writers who wrote thrillers and romances and everything in between, but I also wanted to make sure that we were representing a variety of different races, religions, abilities, sexualities. And so that was a component in deciding the contributor list. But more importantly, I went to authors who I admire. I reached out to authors who I myself love reading their novels. And I was lucky enough that these amazing, prolific writers agreed to write a story for the collection. Oh, great. I thought we might touch upon four of the stories, starting with Shark Bait by Tiffany D. Jackson. The setting is in Martha's Vineyard, an elite resort community off the coast of Massachusetts. What themes does Jackson explore in this story? Honestly, they're all my favorite stories. (laughs) This was really a standout one. Jackson is an incredible writer, and she explored a lot of different themes in the stories. I know that she has talked before about how Martha's Vineyard was a retreat for African-American people to kind of get away. But she also noted that there is racism everywhere. And she wanted to explore that subject of a Black girl alone in Martha's Vineyard trying to make her way. Hmm. The opening sentences are poetic. She writes, my mother's pain is beautiful. You can see it in the stitching of her Hermes bag, the gold in her Prada sunglasses, the way the sun sparkles off her new diamond tennis bracelet on Katama Beach. Tiffany Jackson is exploring privilege as well as race here. It was a really interesting and complex story because, yes, in addition to her exploring race, she's also just uh, exploring these dynamics between her parents and her shifting family relationships. There's really so much depth and nuance to the story. Yeah. I have to confess, I wasn't sure about the ending. Does the author leave the conclusion up to the reader? I believe so. I believe. You know, in many stories, authors like readers to draw their own conclusions. I'm not sure of her intention on that one, but I know I myself have left conclusions up to readers before. What about Your Friends by Brandy Colbert shows how much can change in the course of just a year in the life of teenagers and simultaneously indicating how long a life in the year of a teenager can be. This struck me as a study in awkwardness, writ large, a theme no doubt relatable for young readers. Please tell us a bit about how the story unfolds. This story is really, to me, about a friendship. It's the shifting relationship between two best friends. And I thought it was a really beautiful study of how we grow and change. And we really have to take care of our relationships. They won't just come along on the ride for us. We really have to nurture those relationships and work on them. And I thought it was a beautiful reconciliation story of two best friends. It is. And you don't get the feeling that that's coming. 
because Eleanor, one of the main characters, says, I thought we'd be friends forever. But that's not what the reader encounters in the first part of the story. Not at all. And I I really love the message of that because it's harder than you would think to hold on to friendships. And I love the message that you have to work for them a little bit and that friendships, not just romantic relationships, are worth really putting that effort into. Yeah. You explore friendship in depth in your story that's included in this collection, Creature Capture. You reflect on friendship in its different forms and how it evolves. Take us through Creature Capture, if you would, please. So Creature Capture is a story that is inspired by the app Pokemon Go, if anyone remembers playing that back in the day. It's this digital GPS activated app where you could go catch Pokemon in real life. And so in my story, Creature Capture, you can do the same thing. You can go out into the world and hunt mythical creatures. And my protagonist, Abby, is absolutely obsessed with this app. And she's caught every mythical creature before, except for the Loch Ness Monster that will be available for one night only between sunset and sunrise, of course, which is the theme of the anthology. And so my main character, Abby, is really bent on finding this Loch Ness monster to complete her collection. But the story is really also an examination of gaining self-confidence, social anxiety, trying to form new friendships. Abby feels quite lost. She only has one close friend, Curtis, and they're going to be graduating soon and moving on to college. And she's worried about forming new friendships and being true to herself. And so while the story has this cover of a really fun game, it's also a deeper examination of how to put yourself out there and make friends. Yeah. Yeah, I love what she says in talking about friends she had in middle school and how they are now in high school. She says, I don't judge them. I just don't get them. And I was thinking that could be a mantra for teenagers, don't you agree? I believe so. I feel like growing up, I was fed a lot of narratives that if you were an outcast, it was because the other people were mean or bullying or something of the sort. And I just don't think that's always necessarily true. I feel like a lot of us are all just finding ourselves and we all have such unique personalities and we want to be able to fit in and find our people. And it's more difficult than you would think. And so you have to take that risk and put yourself out there. I love this story, Under Our Masks, by an Atlanta writer, Julian Winters. He is a young adult author of LGBT fiction. Is it unusual for men to write YA books? No, I don't believe it's unusual at all. There are a lot of really incredible male young adult authors. This collection certainly has a majority of female authors in it, and that's just how it wound up. Julian Winters is truly an incredible writer and an incredible person. I know him personally, and it was such a joy to work with him on this collection. And his story absolutely blew me away. Oh, it's wonderful. And I I love his description of the city here. Atlanta feels like an old hooded sweatshirt, one size too small from constant washing, a hole in the sleeve, the drawstrings uneven, but it's always comfortable and warm. Even with all the chaos, this city's comfortable and warm. I got that feeling from this story. Absolutely. This story is just so soft and warm and magical. It deals with 
superheroes, which I was not expecting at all when I gave out the prompt for this collection, but I thought it worked so beautifully because it was yet again, another metaphor for characters finding themselves being true to themselves. And I could picture this story so perfectly. It was very cinematic on an Atlanta rooftop. I really could read an entire novel of it. Yeah, cinematic is a great description because we're so drawn into the, the scene and the sweetness of the two characters. Would you talk about that? The, the romance and the story was just so sweet and genuine. I felt like the characters were these incredibly fleshed out people. And throughout the story, you could really tell why they liked each other and why they connected with each other. The romance was so very clear on the page and I was rooting for them the entire time. Very much so. In addition to the romance of these two young guys, who neither of whom have come out before, there's also a theme of family responsibility that Julian takes on here with Julian's obligations that he feels to his heritage and his relatives. Absolutely. I think that's a really wonderful thing to explore in the young adult world because as teenagers, we're not only starting to discover who we are, but we're also starting to become aware of our family as real people. I feel like when you're a little kid, your parents are superheroes in your eyes. And as you get older, you see them as real people who not only support you, but, you know, also need support back. Laura, young adult literature is appealing to people of many ages. In fact, many adults who are not young or teenagers. Why do you think the form is ideal Young adult novels are, you know, also commonly called coming of age novels. And I personally love to write for this age group because your teenage years are just so tumultuous. There's so many changes that happen in such quick succession, constantly trying to not only figure out who you are, but figuring out how the world works around you, what your place is in it. And I find that really rich material to explore. Of course, plenty of things happen to us as adults as well. But when you're a teenager, they're happening so quickly and you also feel it so intensely. I know as a reader, when I was a teenager, when I read a book, I just would fall into the world so deeply and feel every emotion so strongly. And I feel like it's just the best age to write about. Editor and young adult fiction writer Laura Silverman. More information about the collection of short stories Up All Night is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The Atlanta-based Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame is holding their 2022 induction ceremony tomorrow, February 17th. Among those being honored is the founder of Motown, Barry Gordy. Gordy's contributions to music are legendary, and his legacy continues through his daughter singer-songwriter Rhonda Ross. In 2019, Ross was in town for the Atlanta Jazz Festival and stopped by the WABE studios. First, she explained what she means when she calls herself a social artist. I think that art is more than just a sum of its parts. So my art, my songs that I write, that I perform, are not just songs for entertainment in that moment. Matter of fact, one might say 
though they are entertaining, they are not for entertainment at all. <laughs> they uh-huh. are meant to inspire and encourage and illuminate and teach and connect us to each other and connect the individuals, myself included, to a source and a force bigger than us. So that's what my intent is as I as I create a song. It's, it's a song that uh, all of my songs help me to navigate this life. They help me to understand the moments that I find myself in that we all find ourselves in. So, uh, so I hope that being a social artist means that my songs are greater than the sum of their parts. And isn't it marvelous that in so doing that for yourself, others can find meaning yeah. for themselves. We have a few of your songs we can play from. In case you didn't know, Breathe, yes. All I Want, and Nobody's Business. Where shall we begin? Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's start with In Case You Didn't Know. Okay. that um, you are part of American musical royalty. You are not ashamed of who your parents are. No, not at all. Proud. In case um, (laughs) there may be listeners who aren't familiar, uh, your mother is Diana Ross, Barry Gordy, your dad, the founder of Motown Records. Your sound is entirely your own. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I do feel like there are audience members out there or or lovers of Motown out there who um, would have liked for me to uh, be sort of the second coming (laughs) of of that Motown thing. Um, and, and, And what I say to that is there is only one Diana Ross and anyone trying to copy that is going to get their feelings hurt. <laughs> but um, but I do think I am the next incarnation of what Motown was in that it's not the same. It's not the same uh, genre of music, but what they were doing, what my father and my mother and the other uh, Motown uh, stars of that early day, what they were doing was creating a music that was new, that was authentic to who they were and what their experiences were at the time. They were thinking outside the box. They were not making music that someone else had dictated for them to make. Um, they were following their own rhythm and their own um, their the own their own melodies inside of themselves, whether or not that was acceptable in society's standards for them to be doing. Well, clearly and, that was yeah, acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, but it was acceptable because they stood on it, because they knew it, because they believed in it, because they celebrated it themselves. And so that's the lesson that I take from. Um, my parents and and Motown in general, and that's the road that I've been on these 20, 25 years of creating my own music. I'm following the beat that's inside of me and what's authentic and real for me, Fantastic. and uh, and thinking outside the box and not being dictated to. I want to share with you because you do not live in Atlanta. If you did, we get to hear more yes. from you. I hope, but. Motown is one of my cherished 
four M's, which consist of Mozart, Motown, mm. Muppets, yes. and Mel Brooks. Uh, I love it. I love it. That's but so great. Motown was so critical to my generation. Yes, yes. And, and I'm on the younger end of it. Um, a little younger than your mom. Yes. And, you know, I started listening when I was still in middle school. Mm-hmm. But what you said about the authenticity, yes. about that being the soundtrack for such a critical moment yes. in American history, it's a good thing you didn't try to mimic because <laughs> that's where it lives, even though it lives on. Well, I believe that about all art and i think we make a mistake with the mozarts and the you know when we look back and say that was great i want to copy that <laughs> to in order to try to be great myself it it never works the copying never works that's not what they were doing and i think that that is is it just a mistake that we make you know as a as a as a society and as um a singer you studied with a jazz legend, yes. Miss Abby Lincoln, yes, yes. Um, with whom your husband and musical partner yes. Rodney Kendrick played piano. She was a somewhat experimental. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you take away most from having studied with Abby Lincoln? Yes, exactly what we were just speaking of: um, authenticity. Um, Abby used to say to me and to Rodney, there's no such thing as jazz. There's no such thing as any genre of music that's industry created. You make the music that's inside of you. She said Duke Ellington made Duke's music and Thelonious Monk made Monk's music. And she said, I'm Abby Lincoln and I make Abby's music. And Rhonda, you need to make your music. And it doesn't need to fit into anybody's category um, or genre. You make your music. And, um, and that was really um, one of the biggest things that w- my biggest takeaways. I mean, there were many others. She was, she strongly defended her right to be herself. And uh, I loved her a lot. And I learned a lot from her. Well, clearly, yeah. it comes out in your style yeah. as your own as well. Breathe all I want. Nobody's business. What should we hear next? Let's go with All I Want. Um, All I Want, I co-wrote with um, an an artist, a singer, songwriter named Shannon Sanders. And it's actually a um, uh, a celebration of the Motown vibe. So here we go. I hear the tribute to Motown. (laughs) I like the baby, baby. Yes. um, But mostly in the rhythmic support, Mm -hmm. I hear a little bit of Miss Lincoln. Mm -hmm. But that's all yours. 
Yes, yes, yes. Can you talk a little bit about your approach to songwriting, about your process? Absolutely. Um, It changes, and it has changed, um, but usually, or... Yeah, I would say usually the lyrics come first. The story comes first. I'm a storyteller. So what I want to talk about subject-wise, perspective-wise, is usually where the song um, takes root. Some of the lines will come to me, or sometimes just the story overall will come to me, and and I'll jot down lyrics. And then usually it's lyrics, melody, and then the changes underneath. Yeah. But what's it, what's interesting is that I'm learning guitar right now. Ah. So I've been playing the guitar, and it's totally turned that on its head. Uh, so as I play the guitar, I play chords, and the chord progression will dictate the melody, which will then dictate the lyric. Oh, that's fascinating. It's, it's actually the opposite. And, and what's, it, what has remained consistent, however, is that the lyrics matter so much to me. You really approach music as a storyteller. Yeah, what I am saying in the song matters, matters, matters. And that is something else I got um, from Abby. She used to say, you know, she's not gonna, she wouldn't sing these woe, woe is me songs, you know, because singing is really a prayer. It's a mantra. It's something you're saying over and over from the deepest part of who you are. And it matters what you say. And so I write songs that remind me of my power that first song you played, in case you didn't know, is a song about power and value and knowing what we're capable of, even in the magical um, realms, uh, spiritual realms, what we walk through this earth as. And other songs we're going to do later in this talk, they remind me of my power. They remind me of my responsibility uh, to myself, to others. They remind me what is possible. And so uh, so lyrics always, that's always, whether they come first or they come last, they end up being the linchpin for me. <laughs> what is it like collaborating with your husband? <laughs> it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we met in the music. So as you, as you rightly mentioned, he was Abby Lincoln's um, musical director, and I was falling in love with Abby. So I was following her around. And every time I would go to one of her concerts, I'd say, wait a second, I know that pianist. Uh-huh. And um, and we got to know each other. And we were, I mean, you know, soulmate is overused. But we were connected and together from day one. From moment one, I knew that, that this person was going to be important in my life on so many levels. And and 20 some and, years later yeah 25 years later wow. um so so uh so what is it like it's 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 wonderful uh, you know music uh, the, you you asked me earlier what did i learn from abby now they're all coming out the concept of music being incidental the music is our life and our life is the music the way we are on stage the way we are when we write together the way we are when we rehearse together is the way we are when we raise our son together and the way we are when we cook breakfast together and the way we <laughs> you know um you make it, beautiful music together 24/7 yeah 24/7 but it's all one and the same you know because the music comes from an authentic place you can't turn it on and off you can't decide you're going to be one way in the music and another way in your life right they all flow together so so we're partners. We work it out. We are walking this journey together, and we're doing that both musically and as parents and as husband and wife and as friends and as um, uh, co-spiritual seekers and as all of that. Beautiful. Yeah. I can't believe how time has flown in just the two minutes we have left. You mentioned your little boy, Raid. Yes. For... Those who may not have seen him accept an award, yes, which you fill listeners. I at. certainly will. Uh, my son Raif is is nine years old. He is our pride and joy. We worked really hard to get him here, <laughs> prayed really hard to get him here, and we couldn't be happier. Uh, we homeschool him, and uh, he speaks four languages. Okay. He speaks uh, English, of course, French, Spanish, and 
in Mandarin Chinese. And, and he travels with us wherever we go. But recently, my mother was receiving an award at the Grammys, Lifetime Achievement Award. Yes. And they asked that my son, Raif, introduce her. And what that did was it introduced him to a much broader audience. We've known his magic all along, but all of a sudden people said, who is that kid? And, uh, and, <laughs> Speaking and Mandarin been, French. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And so it's been really an exciting moment. And it's just been an exciting time to watch people's gaze shift to him but with you know the three of us we're like a gypsy family you know like I, I say to him some gigs are mine some gigs are his some gigs are daddy's you know we just have a lot of fun Singer-songwriter Rhonda Ross, daughter of Motown icons Barry Gordy and Diana Ross. Gordy is being inducted into the Atlanta-based Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame tomorrow, February 17th. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., comedian and Daily Show correspondent Dulce Sloan stops by ahead of her weekend performance at City Winery in Atlanta. Plus, we'll hear about Theatrical Outfit's new production of Bright Half-Life. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website wabe.org slash city lights there you'll find our complete archive of interviews so you can listen to city lights on your schedule city lights senior producer is kim troves summer evans is our producer and our engineer is shelly canavy i'm your host lois wrightsis And we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.